that amazing and uh, beloved song, the text I'm about to read, uh, evoke in us images of water, uh, water which was very dangerous and still can be very dangerous as we know lately with all the flooding. Uh, certainly in the ancient world, water was considered a, a, both a sign of life but also a sign of death and danger. Uh, Israel, God's chosen people, were delivered to freedom through the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, it was a terrifying experience. They only had God to trust and lean on in that moment. And when we go down to the river to pray, when we go down to the river to be baptized, when we go to the font to be baptized, we are always evoking images of the Red Sea being parted, Noah on the turbulent waters of the flood looking for a place to land to re rebuild and begin again as uh, human, the human race. Uh, so listen now as we turn our hearts and minds to the word of God, first from the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, the part of Isaiah we call Deutero-Isaiah or 2nd Isaiah, um, as God reminds God's people of Israel, that they are beloved no matter what they are going through, in this case the exile, uh, and that that exile is about to end. There is hope, there is renewal, there is new life, and listen for especially the images of the exodus through the Red Sea. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight, and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, as I mentioned earlier to the children, this time from the third chapter. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church. As people were filled with expectation and all were Questioning in their hearts concerning John the Baptist, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts this morning, O God, upon your word to us today be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd like to get started this morning by evoking together with you a feeling. Um, The feeling that the ancient Old Testament Hebrew Bible patriarch Noah must have had there with his family floating on the waves in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I get seasick looking at a boat. I wouldn't go on a cruise for four hours, let alone four days or 40 days. We, we don't know exactly how long Noah was out there. 40 days, 40 nights, 40 is a formula in the Old Testament and Hebrew scripture that really means a long, long time. So that they were floating out there with no land in sight, actually with no land anywhere and with only a glimmer of hope. And think about how they must have felt We're so familiar with this story, we know how it ends, so sometimes I think we might skip past the anxiety and fear and smell of what it must have been like on that ark with all those animals for all that time out there floating on the waters. Desperation, wondering, questioning, second guessing. So it's important for us, I think, as we read this famous story of Jesus' baptism to get a sense of what's at stake to get in touch with that feeling that precedes the assurance and the good news of the victory of God's love in Jesus Christ. Jesus was baptized like all of us in the faith family. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Three out of the four New Testament Gospels tell us that story. They each tell the story a little bit differently. But somehow, and for very good reasons, The baptism of Jesus himself by John the Baptist is really important in the church's memory of who it is, of who we are, and and also really important in the kickoff to his public ministry. Christianity, for all of us, in Christianity, the baptism of Jesus is connected with our own baptisms, the start of our lives, the kickoff to who we are going to become. You know, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that advises, if we do not change our direction, we are likely to end up where we are headed. If we don't change our direction, we're going to end up right where we're headed. The same, same is true of golf, by the way. Uh, standing on the threshold of a new year, uh, uncertain year, once again, this may be the best time to examine and sift through our values by thinking about the baptism of Jesus and about our own baptisms because it's possible the strongest thirst we have is not just for the end to a pandemic, but the strongest thirst, the longing that is true of all of us, that we all carry with us all the time in good times and in tough times is still sort of percolating under the surface for us. We all live much of our lives so superficially. We're so busy all the time. We're too busy to pay attention to what really matters sometimes until we're forced to. We're all still thirsty and hungry. We don't even know for what sometimes. 
And that longing is sort of what we carry with us. It's a little bit like floating on the water in Noah's Ark, not certain when and where we're going to land. Questioning, wondering, when's it all going to end? When will I finally feel like I want to feel deep in my heart? Remember, in Genesis 8, after all that time out there on the water, Noah had an inkling that the waters might start to recede and God's promise would be kept to them and they could start life over again on earth. So he sends a raven out from the ark to see if there might be land somewhere. The raven comes back probably exhausted after flying around with nowhere to land. So then Noah sends out a dove like the raven. The dove flies around for a while and comes back, no land. But then later in the evening, Noah sends a second dove out. And this time... The dove returns with an olive leaf in its beak, and there is hope. And there is going to be a moment when Noah and his family and all those animals, two by two, put their feet back on dry land. And again, as someone who hates boats, I love that feeling of being back on terra firma, solid ground, which is what God's love for us does. It gives us that feeling. In Luke, people were baptized, then Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 3, and Jesus is praying after his baptism, and the heaven opens up, the text tells us, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form as a dove. Interesting connection there between the sort of hope suddenly restored in the form of a dove, and this voice from heaven tells him that he is God's beloved the heavens opening up is sort of an apocalyptic image, very typical in the Bible, in which God somehow, even by the ushering of a whole new kind of reality, will fulfill God's promises to the people. And so the heavens opening up in Luke's telling the story of the baptism of Jesus is a sign to Israelite Jewish readers that this is indeed the Messiah they've been expecting. God will keep God's promises, our expectations and hopes and dreams will be fulfilled, probably not exactly as we expect, but even more so and better. That's how God keeps promises in a way that is beyond our imagination or expectation and fulfills not only our immediate wants and desires, but also ones that we can't even dream of right now. In that spirit in bodily form, somatikos is the Greek. The dove comes down. It's like a dove in the form of a dove, is sort of an embodiment of the message, I am with you throughout, throughout, throughout the rest of your life. The Lucan scholar, the scholar of the Gospel of Luke, who is one of uh, sort of the most trusted and respected scholars these days, R. Alan Culpepper, tells us that uh, three very important truths are hidden in this text, this very brief text in chapter 3 of Luke about the baptism of our Lord. First is, that our God is a God of relationship. We get that from this moment at the very beginning of the story of Jesus Christ. Culpepper says, Theologically, the story of the baptism of Jesus approaches the mystery of Jesus' relationship with God and affirms that relationship by asserting that Jesus could not be who he is and could not have done what he did apart from God's empowerment and blessing. Jesus couldn't have been who he is or done what he did without God being with him. And that's true for us 
as well, as much as it is for Jesus. Have you ever, if you've ever felt alone or isolated, if you've ever been through that agony of feeling completely unloved, unaccepted, uncared for, if, you ever, if you've ever longed to fit in, to belong, to be accepted or embraced, then you know the power of this intimate relationship which God assures Jesus of in this story today. And you know how important that is for you and for me as well. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. That voice from heaven tells Jesus that. I am going to be with you always, and I'm always going to call you by your name. You will know it's me, and I will know you in that moment, no matter what's going on, whether you're surrounded by crowds or whether you're isolated on the mountaintop or in the deepest, darkest valley. We all long for that kind of intimacy that is evoked here in this very brief passage in Luke today. You are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. You know, after the death of her husband, Queen Victoria of England said, after her husband, Prince Albert, had passed away, she said, sadly and in grief, there is no one left to call me Victoria. Right? She was the most beloved, most beloved person in the Western world, but she felt that the one person who knew her intimately was now gone. In baptism, Jesus recognizes the one who knows him best and who calls him by name. And so do we, which gives us the foundation to be the church, to be people of faith, to be courageous even in the midst of challenge. The story of uh, the time when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication here in the United States. Um, And there's a a story about during that time when a young man answered a job ad for experienced Morse code operators. So the young man went to the interview where they were welcoming people to be interviewed for this position, and it was a large, noisy office. It was a telegraph office, after all. And in the background, as he walked in, the man could hear telegraph, the telegraph clacking away. A sign at the receptionist's counter instructed all job applicants who were coming that day to fill out a form, and then after they'd filled it out, to sit down and wait. We've all been there. And as the young man sat down, after filling out his form, he looked around. He could see that there were seven other applicants already there sitting and waiting, having filled out their forms. Nobody said a word. They were all very nervous, just the clacking going away. After about five minutes, the young man who had come in last stood up, buttoned his coat, walked back into the inner office, through the door, and closed it. Naturally, the other applicants perked up. What was going on? Who does this guy think he is? He came in last. Why did, why did he go in first? They kind of muttered amongst themselves because they hadn't heard anyone call them in yet. It took more than a little satisfaction from assuming, just the way they were looking at each other smugly, that this guy was probably going to be reprimanded for going in there without having been called and summarily disqualified from the job. And it would serve him right. But just a few minutes later, the door to that inner office opened up, and out came the young man with the manager who was interviewing him for the job, who announced to the other applicants, guys, Thanks for coming, but the job's been filled by this young man. 
Well, now the other applicants began grumbling out loud to each other, and one spoke up and said to the manager, wait a minute, I don't understand. He was the last one to come in. None of us got a chance to be interviewed. How does he get the job? That's not fair. And the manager said, all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph ticking in the background has been putting out a message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of the rest of you heard it, let alone understood it. But this young man did. He recognized the message was for him. So he's got the job. That's the best gift anybody could ever give us, really, this opportunity to feel and be recognized and to recognize a voice that's assuring us, hey, you belong here. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Of course, recognizing the voice from heaven that comes from God in different ways and through different people and circumstances, challenges and joys of our lives is a lifelong task. Listening and discerning God's voice from all the other sounds clacking away around us is really not always as easy as it seems. We have to work at it every day through prayer, being part of a community of faith, helping each other along to get back on track. Sometimes we can get it wrong. Maybe you know the story of the young preacher who announced to his congregation that he would be leaving for this church to take on another call as a pastor in a larger church somewhere. And after completing his very last worship service with his church, the young pastor was standing at the door greeting people one last time when one of the elderly saints of that congregation approached him with tears in her eyes, and she sobbed to him, Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry you have decided to leave. Things will never be the same here again. Well, the young man was flattered, but he was equal to the situation he felt, and he took her hands in his there in that receiving line in the narthex and benevolently replied, Bless you, dear lady, but I'm sure that God will send you a new pastor even better than I. She choked back a sob and said to him, that's what they all say, Pastor, but they just keep getting worse and worse. We have to listen to make sure that that voice that comes is the one that affirms us and is the one that recognizes who we really are. Second, Culpepper, the Lucan scholar, tells us that pastorally, the description of the baptism of Jesus points us to the experience of baptism, his and ours, in which the individual being baptized submits to God's grace and in so doing finds freedom and their identity and affirmation for who they really are. In his baptism, by finding out who he is, Jesus shows you and me the way to find out who we really are. That's because we don't work and function like we're meant to function in this life as human beings apart from our source, the source of our life, our power source, our meaning, identity source. That is how we live our best life, to be in that intimate relationship with God, which is offered to us because of grace. I've mentioned many times this wonderful little book by a Catholic nun, Carol Joukowsky, which she titled she mostly writes cookbooks, but she wrote one of, this, one of this, these wonderful little books, which I love, called Ten Fun Things to Do Before You Die. 
One of which, among the ten, is consider being a nun, whether you're a man or a Protestant, doesn't matter. Just think about what is it that you would devote your life to doing if you had to choose something. But another thing, one of the ten things, another one of the ten things to do before you die, according to Sister Carol Joukowsky, is find and live your best life. Find and live your best life. Everybody has a best life, the one you've been born to live. And life really is the process of discovering what that is and following it. It's an old story about a wild duck. This duck could fly high and far, kind of like a dove. This duck could fly as high and as far as any duck could, but one day the duck landed in a barnyard. He'd never been in a barnyard before, and he decided to stay for a while and check things out. And Their life was far less exciting than he was used to, but it was a lot easier. There was always a warm place to sleep. There was always a lot of food. He never had to wonder where his next meal was going to come from or where he was going to bed down. The duck began to eat and live with the tame ducks, and gradually this duck forgot how to fly. In the spring and fall, however, as the wild ducks flew overhead above the barnyard, something would always stir inside this duck, but he could not, and he could not rise and join them anymore. And there's a poem about this duck which ends with these two lines. He's a pretty good duck for the shape he's in, but he isn't the duck that he might have been. And that's high-level poetry that reminds us that God doesn't need us to be perfect just to be the person we're born to be. God doesn't want or need our plans to work out perfectly like sometimes we think they need to. God just wants us to keep trying to be who we were born to be. My family had a duck once, by the way, a duck that just, just appeared in our yard when I was in high school. Uh, we couldn't, it was a duckling. It really didn't know how to fly yet, and we couldn't find its mother or any of its siblings, and so we kind of kept the duck, at least during the nicer weather months. And um, this duck imprinted on our beagle, our really old, roly-poly, overweight beagle, following the beagle around the backyard. We wouldn't let the duck follow the dog inside the house because ducks if you don't know it, are a lot messier than dogs. But this duck thought that our beagle, Tippy, was its mother. Finally, though, we had to give the duck away. It got bigger, it got messier, and we gave it to some friends who had a farm outside of town. And we heard later that a coyote had broken into the barnyard and the farm there and killed all the chickens and ducks in that farm except our duck, because our duck, we figured, was convinced he was a dog and probably had barked at the coyote and saved his own life. Live your best life. Third, Culpepper says, for parents, the baptism of Jesus and especially the words that God speaks from heaven after the heavens open up serve as a reminder that declarations of parents or teachers, or parental figures love are vital to a child's development, and I would say to human development as well. When we tell each other, I love you, you matter, you are my beloved, it makes all the difference. That, that word, beloved, agapatos, in Greek here in Luke's chapter 3, really It's only used in one other place in Luke's gospel, and that is the transfiguration of Jesus there on that mountaintop. 
with Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John, a voice from heaven once again says, this is my beloved, my agapatos, listen to him. Mark Trotter tells the story of a daughter, young adult in her 20s, who calls home and gets both of her parents on her weekly call, and in this particular conversation, she just starts pouring out all of her frustrations and sadness, all about the great disappointments in her life, all of her hopes and expectations, which don't seem to be coming true, her relationships, which are being challenged. And at the end of her spewing forth all of these sad, sad things about her life and her frustrations, her parents say in their way on the other end of the phone line, honey, we wish we could do something. And then she said to them, you've done a lot already just by listening to me and by being there. I can feel your love all the way from there. And it helps. Just thank, thank you for just being there. And I think it must have been like that when Jesus prayed to God in those critical moments in, in his life, beginning in Luke's story of Jesus Christ with his baptism. His identity was confirmed, but also this foundational truth about who he is is that he is loved and that there is this presence with him no matter what. He was assured of that great good news that God would always be with him and so are we in our own baptisms because of Jesus' baptism that the Holy Spirit will always be with him and us to empower us, to heal us, to guide us and like any parent reaching out to a child God says to Jesus and to us, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's happening, even if we can't solve it immediately, we are proud of you, we love you, and we are with you no matter what. That's the best kind of parental love. It's embodied here in the story of Christ's baptism. A lot of us try to do that, those of us who are parents or coaches or mentors or aunts or uncles. Sometimes... We didn't hear it as when we were growing up, but if we were fortunate, as I was, if I didn't always hear it, I was shown it, how much I was loved. And it's the gift really is the foundation of my entire life. And so whatever you hear or don't hear from the people in your life, Luke, in this story today, in the third chapter of his gospel, wants you to know that because of Jesus Christ and because of what he heard from God, you can hear that same message from God you are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. We always go back to that font to hear that message, that reassurance that we're here, we love you, I love you, you are my child. Some of you have uh, probably seen uh, that strange, funny movie from, well, one of the many strange and funny movies from Joel and Ethan Cohn. The movie called Oh Brother, Where Out Art Thou? And there's a, that, that movie is a whimsical retelling by the Coen brothers of Homer's Odyssey. It's set in 1930s Mississippi. Three hapless convicts, Everett, Pete, and Delmar, are hiding out in the woods, running from the law, having these adventures. And at one point they encounter there in the woods a procession of white-robed people going down to a lake to be baptized. And as they move toward the water and they sing, let's go down to the river to pray, just as Jordan just did, uh, the three hapless convicts decide to follow this crowd of people going to the water. 
And as the baptism ceremony begins, one of the three, Delmar, is overwhelmed by the beauty and the mystery of this baptismal ceremony. And he runs into the water and right then and there is baptized by the minister. And as Delmar comes back to his companions, he declares to them that he is now saved. And as he says, neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. And Delmar explains that the minister has told him that all his sins have been washed away right then and there. Even, he says, when he stole that pig for which he'd been convicted. But you said you were innocent of that, one of his friends says. I lied, he says, but that's been washed away too. Later, the three convicts steal a hot pie from a windowsill. But the one who's just been baptized, Delmar, who feels that his sins have been washed away, he comes back and places a dollar bill on the windowsill, and then he runs away. Delmar wasn't made perfect by his baptism any more than the rest of us are. But he was conscious that it was time for a new beginning, which is what Christ's baptism and your baptism and mine always reminds us of. Every day is a new day, and because you're loved and precious, and because God is well pleased with who you really are, there's always hope. May it be so. Amen.